What is good, everyone? Welcome to the Outside the Box podcast. My name is Nick Engvall, and on this podcast, I try to present to you new ways of thinking about the world of sneakers and the creativity, the opportunities, and the challenges that surround the business of footwear. My guest today connects two of her passions in a way that just is just amazingly inspiring to me. So I, I just, I'm just excited about the conversation I just had, and I just want you to get right into it. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hey, what's good, everyone? Back with the Outside the Box podcast. My name is Nick Engvall. Today, I've got a very special guest with me, Liz Beecroft, to talk about some more important things in the sneaker world. How are you doing, Liz? I am good. Thank you so much for having me. This is um, really exciting and a really good way to end my week on a positive note. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, yeah, me too. Thanks for, thanks for taking the time to come on with me. Um, so, I guess, you know, before I get into the uh, the topics that everybody will want to listen to, I'm going to just own up to this being my podcast now and ask you how you became an, an Allen Iverson fan because, I, you know, just from following you on Instagram, you might be one of the few people that has the same level of just random Allen Iverson pieces around you like I do. So how did that all happen? <laughs> So I'm from Pennsylvania. Um, I'm about an hour north of Philly is where my hometown's located. So growing up, um, I started playing basketball when I was probably three or four. My parents got me involved in some local leagues and, you know, the Sixers were pretty good back then. <laughs> well, when I was growing up, middle school age, they were pretty good. But, you know, ball was life. Like I grew up just really with dreams to be in the NBA. Um, not the WNBA, I wanted to be the first woman in the NBA. And uh, yeah, like, you know, just love the Sixers. It was kind of like a natural thing in our hometown. You're a Sixers fan, an Eagles fan, um, Phillies fan, so, and Flyers for hockey. But yeah, growing up, we would go down to the games um, and just, I was always like one of the guys. I never really hung out with a lot of girls, so also by a product of that, huge Sixers fan and and you know AI always stuck out to me because he was just so scrappy he was like one of those guys who he was different he didn't give a shit he did what he wanted to do and he did it well <laughs> and I think that's what always was something that I was drawn to especially with him and and playing basketball myself I wanted to be like AI on the court off the court you know any aspect of basketball that I could be like my idol um so yeah, it's always been not about MJ for me. It's always been about AI. Yeah, me too. I, I mean, I am obviously from California, but it it you know he was the guy that I resonated with because he was so scrappy, and you know I I kind of come from a, a, a I guess a, a lower income background, and I related to that aspect of of you know escaping the family stuff and the the you know, the struggles by getting into sports and, and basketball and baseball and skateboarding, whatever I could. Um, but it's, it's really interesting, like to, you know, the, the thing about AI for me was always, you know, we'll get into this, I guess, in a, in a bit, but was always more about his mental approach to everything, right? It, it really was like, he doesn't give a shit, like, he's gonna do what he's got to do whether you Can like it or happen. not, whether, yeah. And, um, I, I really connected with that in a lot of ways too. And I, I, I think maybe that was something that so, sometimes I don't, I don't feel like, and maybe this is just me being old, but I don't feel like the athletes of today have the same level of that. You know, it's, it's different, right? It's, it's, it's doing, I guess, comes across as doing something rebellious just because it's rebellious rather than just because this is tr who I truly am and who mm -hmm. I refuse to not be. Um, but yeah, that's really interesting. So how, how did that, you know, how did that, you know, become a thing for you with sneakers? Like, was that kind of how, you know, you started to get into sneakers and, and tell us a little bit about, you know, your journey into that world? Yeah. So sneakers is a mix, like, you know, I usually tell people a lot of the time it's because of basketball and that's true. Um, AI 
the questions were the first pair. Well, one of the first pairs that I could significantly remember like going to get and just being so excited because I felt like it was one step closer to being like my idol. And I can remember just like practicing my crossover over and over and over again, wearing the arm sleeve, the sweatbands, like I would have my hair in braids at the time. Um, you know, I did everything I could to be like this man. And um, I would tell my mom, like, I'm going to marry AI. And she's like, okay, he's only like three times your age, but that's, that's fine. Um, so yeah, it was basketball, but also skateboarding, you know, like I said before, growing up with a lot of guys and they're all skaters. So I can remember going to the skate park in Allentown called Penn Skate. My first um, deck was the World Industries Battlewood. I had a Phantom 2 trucks, awesome. um, some lucky risers. And yeah, I was one of the guys. <laughs> I had like my CCS backpack I would carry around. Um, and it was like the mentality of like if I – I never really felt like I fit in with the girls. A lot of the – my hometown's really small. And, you know, you either kind of go the cheerleading route or you go the, the basketball route. I almost said the sports route. Cheerleading is a sport, but it's a different type of sport. And so for me, I naturally was friends with, you know, some of my best friends to this day who are all sneakerhead skaters. And I had to keep up or shut up. Um, and that's what kept pushing me to learn how to skate, learn how to snowboard, you know, um, be able to play basketball because if you went to the park, 90% of the people that were playing pickup games back then were all guys. And if you couldn't keep up with them, you were stuck sitting on the bench cheering them on. I didn't want to be one of those people. So yeah, I was very much a tomboy. I can remember, you know, and one like South pole, like I, my best friend Lauren and I were very similar in that sense. And we, I can vividly remember going on a field trip in fifth grade to this, place called Hawk Mountain in Pennsylvania and we wore like our South Pole jeans our Tims like we wanted to fit in with our guy friends because that's what they were wearing um so yeah it's always just been a part of who I was because I was just drawn to drawn to, to wanting to be just myself and be different and do what I liked and not feel like I needed to follow the crowd and do what everyone else was doing because it was cool so it's kind of still who i am to this day but yeah, yeah ai that's, awesome that's but yeah was, sorry going back to sneakers um that's kind of how i got into it so it was also etnies soaps um dcs vans um at a really early age and you know then it even progressed into more uh basketball silhouettes specifically so like the t-mac twos which i'm really excited to see that they're re-releasing this this year um what else who else did i have some uh the data spinners I had those I had you know a lot of and ones um trying to think of what else I had another pair that was standout for me was the Jordan 17s and the 18s uh because I can remember playing in those uh but yeah it's just always wanting to be like my favorite players at the time and get those shoes because I felt like that's what brought me closer to the people I looked up to yeah, yeah, definitely. I can totally relate. It sounds like you probably were flipping through the Slam magazines as frequently as I was. <laughs> Some of those brands were such yep. staples in my life just because I saw them in, in Slam or in, in Vibe or something like that. So, mm -hmm. uh, but so, yeah. so I guess before we get into, you know, more deeper topics, could you give like a little bit of background on what you do now and, and maybe I guess how you get it, got into this kind of space that you're in now? Yeah, absolutely. So currently I'm a full-time licensed clinical social worker and LCSW for short. Um, I work in Brooklyn for a foster care organization where I do cognitive behavioral therapy to kids with kids in the foster care system. Um, and then outside of that, I just started doing some private practice as well. Uh, so that's my full-time job, you know, social worker slash therapist um, slash sneakerhead, I guess. And I don't even really call myself a sneakerhead, but I kind of always try to associate sneakers in my work with the kids because it's a really good way to engage a lot of teenagers and younger kids into therapy. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's something that I think we could go a little bit further into because one of the things like I mentioned before we started recording is I've 
been so lucky to be in this world. Like I didn't know this world existed when I was a teenager, right? I didn't yeah. until I was in my, you know, early 20s, I didn't think I could ever do anything in sneakers because I'm not a designer or a, a creative type in in like a visual sense, you know, especially back then you didn't have the internet. Like you didn't have Photoshop. Like I'm fairly good with with a computer, but to draw something and to like think of a, a, a designer, that was like the only job that I thought existed in the sneaker world as a, as a teenager. So for me, sneakers has always kind of been this conduit to, to just connect with good people and, and meet new people and, and hear their stories. And I, I love hearing, you know, I, I love hearing what drives people. And a lot of times it's those stories that they associate with sneakers. So what, you know, with, with kids that are, you know, that you work with now, how, you know, is it, is it one of those things where you, as, as I guess, like simplifying it is like you walk in with a pair of shoes on and that kicks off the conversation or is it, and, and like how, how much of, how valuable is that to you in like what you do? Yeah. So, you know, the foster care system, most of the kids that typically end up being in foster care are there because they've experienced some type of trauma or adverse childhood experience. Um, and so, you know, mental health services really aren't the type of thing that they really want to be involved with. Um, typically, a lot of these kids see social workers as being bad people because they associate social workers with the people who take them away from their families. Um, so, you know, I try my best to do a lot of work around breaking down those stigmas and really meeting the kids where they're at and, and really understanding who they are, what they're interested in, you know, more than just like what's wrong with you or, you know, I try to, our agency is trained in a, in a model called the sanctuary model. So we have this framework that we pretty much look at every person in the world through a lens of what happened to you rather than saying like, what's wrong with you. Um, and it's, it's good because you get to learn a lot about their stories and, and what makes them them and what they're, they're into what they don't like, you know, and all that information is super valuable because once you know what a kid likes, you can kind of incorporate that into the therapy process. Um, and it makes that process a lot more fun for them, a lot more enjoyable, and they want to keep coming back. And then, you know, a couple months go by and this kid's doing so much better because they are actually invested in this. You know, they want to be taking it seriously. They, they want to come every week for a session. Um, so sneakers for sure are one of those because, you know, I, I wear whatever the hell I want to work and I'm not a good role model for my interns that I supervise, supervise, um, because like, I've definitely worn this hoodie to work and it's probably not okay. Um, but luckily I have a lot of really amazing colleagues who understand what I do outside of my job and they're, they're okay with it. And they know that the kids enjoy just talking about this kind of stuff. So yeah, I wear sneakers and a lot of the times the kids will be like, yo, Miss Liz, like, what do you have on? And we start talking about it, you know, and sometimes I'll get, you know, shoes from brands and either they're too big or I'm just not really into them. So I'll take it to work. And if a kid's doing well and we have the same shoe size or a younger kid has that size, you know, it's like a positive reinforcement. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, so yeah, it's a really cool way to show kids that like, you know, there's opportunities out there um, and we can make the therapy process really fun. So another thing I'll try and do sometimes is obviously right now with COVID, it's a lot harder, but, you know, bring colleagues or other friends that work in the industry and to teach them like what jobs are out there, what you can do. Um, because of, yeah, the pipe, there's a pipeline system at times with uh, kids in foster care where, you know, they don't get a lot of help around, what school do you want to go to or what yeah. careers can we pursue to make sure that we find a good school that, you know, offers the, the degrees that you really want to be in. So it's hard. Um, so it's a lot of like mentoring as well at times, which really doesn't fall into my job category, but by nature, it just happens. So. Yeah, for sure. It, yeah. It, I, I just popped into my head, so I'm going to reference it, but like, well, I remember, um, is not related to what you do necessarily, but you know, it kind of thinking of the way that for me and, and 
for like the conversations that you have with with the kids sneakers kind of almost break down the the barrier right they 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 make people vulnerable in a way that i don't think a lot of people realize and it this is one of the things about alan iverson that has always been the like turning point in me being like a a big fan to like this is the guy that i look up to like on another level was um an interview that he did with uh stephen a smith years ago i i can't even remember when it was like this is probably you know 2003 or four or something like that and it was it was like ridiculously long it was something that espn normally wouldn't do and i remember AI, you know, started talking about how much his mom sacrificed for him and just started crying on the interview. And, and to me, that was like the, the, like the realest you could ever see from someone, right? Because everybody projects all of this stuff. And I'm sure you see it with the kids where it's like, you know, they have to keep their guard up because they're, they don't want to be hurt anymore. And, yeah. um, and that's something that I think is, is just really beautiful about, you know, like I, I assumed that that was something that was a part of your life and just like knowing you from a distance, but I'm, I'm really like stoked to hear that because it's just such a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, but I guess how, how, like before you got into the, the social work, like, how, you know, what was your path to doing that stuff? Yeah. So I, um, when I started college in 2009, I was a biology major and I really wanted to be an orthodontist. I had braces three times and my a friend, my best friend Lauren, her stepdad was like the orthodontist in our area. So I, you know, would job shadow him in high school, thought it would make me a lot of money. Um, and then I met organic chemistry and I hated it. And that's kind of when I realized this was a reality check and it wasn't really something that was going to bring me a lot of fulfillment. I thought it was going to make get me a bag and that's kind of where I want it to be uh and then I was challenged and you know by courses that I just genuinely didn't like um and I said you know I don't know that I can put myself through another couple years of school if I really just am not interested in this so I changed my major to psychology uh because I was always just interested in people um but also because when I was really young, probably from about fifth grade up until freshman year of high school, I had struggled with homesickness. Like I could not go to any basketball camps without having panic attacks, insane anxiety. Like I still have terrible anxiety and like my parents would have to come to the basketball camps and get a hotel and be close by just so I could be there because you know how it is with basketball there's politics like if you're not at the summer leagues in the camps like then you kind of get benched for the season and I was always a starter I was a good player and I just wanted that experience but the experiences at times are really hard so it wasn't until you know I think sixth grade seventh grade my mom and dad eventually put me in therapy um, and at that time, I didn't really have a clue, like, what the hell was going on, why I was there. No one really explained anything to me. So it didn't really work. I um, ended up getting over it, just like, which now I understand as a therapist, there's something we call a fear ladder, where, you know, if there's something that makes you anxious or nervous, you build up to it. And you find smaller things that still make you feel that way, but you achieve those and then you kind of go up the ladder and tackle harder and harder situations until you get to the one that you're you know really anxious over so that's kind of what I worked on and eventually got to the point where you know I didn't struggle with homesickness and I was able to stay over camps and it was okay um and then you know when I went to college um I was I was a freshman in college I was dating a guy who was still in high school I was a cougar and he had cheated on me and then I started dating someone else, like later on in college, the same situation happened. And, you know, for me, it was very traumatic. Um, so I ended up back in therapy again. And that person at that time, I was much older. I understood why I was there, what was going on. And it helped build a lot of self-esteem back that I had lost. It helped me build um, tr some trust back. I I'm still working on the trust part. Um, but yeah, like it helped me kind of get back on my feet and realize that 
what had happened to me wasn't a result of who I was. It was a, it was a, it showed that person's character. So here I am in college now, a psych major, and uh, still really didn't know what I wanted to do. I actually thought I was going to go to school to be a sports psychologist um, post undergrad, and uh, I was. I'm also a huge Phillies fan, so Cole Hamels struggles really bad mentally when he pitches. Uh, so my dream was to become Cole Hamels' uh, sports psychologist, and. The field of psychology is really confusing. I have, you know, there's so many different ways you can approach it, so many different career paths you can take. Um, and I wasn't really sure. So I graduated with my degree in um, psychology. And then I also have a minor in, in bio and healthcare studies. And I lived at home for a year. I was like, I don't know what the hell I want to do. I kind of leaned in on my advisors from college and get to get some opinions from them and some insight. and one of the advisors, he had told me, you know, to pursue social work because it leaves a lot of open doors if you don't have a specific concentration that you know for sure you want to go into. So then, you know, I worked in a couple different jobs, got some experience, and then I applied to grad school. And that's what brought me to New York. Um, I went to NYU for my master's in social work. Um, And then in 2015, 2014 to 2016, it was a two-year program. I graduated, and then in the meantime, met my now fiancé in in New York, and I stuck around. So, yeah, that's kind of what brought me to just my own personal experiences and going through um, therapy firsthand and knowing how it it can be very helpful if you find someone who is a good fit for you. Yeah, Yeah, that's... that's, there's I want to come back to to something you said, but I also want to kind of, uh, I guess, give a little more about what you've done in the last few years, because there's a lot of, I think, sneakerheads that probably have either followed you or seen you doing things because you've got to do a lot of cool things, you know, there in New York that and, you know, my experience, li- like living there in Brooklyn and working at Complex, <laughs> you really can like almost set the standard of the conversation and topics that happen. And I think um, maybe could you talk about some of the opportunities that you've had in the last few years, um, you know, and, and eventually you could get into mental sesh. I think that was something that I like, probably one of the first things that I was like, what is this? This is cool. Like, this is different. I haven't, it was, you know, people I recognize, but not conversations that I think we associate with sneakers in any way. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, you know, my job, my first job out of grad school was super heavy. I was um, working for a juvenile justice program in New York doing in-home family therapy with kids who were, you know, arrested with felonies. Um, it was really taxing. I was going to court, advocating to the judges, doing a lot of different work. Um, and at that time, my boyfriend, now fiance, was like, you know, you should start sharing some stuff on social media. You love your sneakers. You love style. Like... And he's a photographer, so he would help me out with that. And I just started doing it as a creative outlet just for fun because I needed something to invest my time into so I didn't, like, bring my job home with me because vicarious trauma is super real. Uh, so, yeah, I started doing that. And then, you know, I think it was 2019 in May, Cultivator, which used to be which is Nike by You Workshop and what – I forget the name that they were before Cultivator – but anyway, they had posted on their Instagram that they were looking for New York-based creatives. Um, and I knew of them because Megan Wilson had designed some silhouettes with them in the past. So I applied. Um, and it was really like if you were to design a, a Nike shoe, what would your shoe be about? And so I was like, I would talk about mental health. That's what I do. Um, and it's kind of my way of merging my two worlds into one. Uh, so lo and behold... I got accepted um, and the process was really quick. It was like two months long, but ended up being able to design the In My Feels 270 React with them. Um, And it did really well. Uh, And it was really fun because I was able to really share resources. That's my biggest thing when mental health is involved in any type of project I work on is sharing resources, educating the community and and giving back. Um, So... Yeah, I, I did that. I was able to speak on the Business of Hype podcast with Jeff Staple because he had bought my shoe. 
Um, and I think that was like a, a really cool moment. That's kind of when I was like, wow, people really believe in this message. Um, and I felt like I was dealing with imposter syndrome, syndrome for a really long time because here I was a social worker trying to be like the hype bay on Instagram for a while. But, you know, I didn't really tell too many people I was like a social worker. I was just trying to be cool because that's what everyone was doing. And I kind of strayed away from who I truly am. Um, so I, I actually ended up back in therapy uh, right around that same time. And that's when my therapist was like, look, like use this shoe and use this opportunity as a way to show your expertise and be you and it's okay to be different. So that's kind of when I really fully embraced like who I was um, and what I'm about. Uh, and then, you know, a couple months after the shoe came out, I had been in Philly visiting some friends at P's and Q's and, and Bobby Hunters was there. So met him. And then a couple months later, we're, you know, stayed in touch and we're talking and he's like, let's do a, let's do a mental health collab together. So then in May, I uh, worked with Bobby and the hundreds and Ben, uh, and we put out a t-shirt, a feelings chart of all different atom bombs, uh, like you see in the therapy offices, uh, for mental health awareness and donated all of those proceeds back to NAMI. Uh, and there's also a poster, which was, that was really fun. That was a really cool project to work on. And then fast forward a couple months, this past November, um, partnered with Unknown, and we came out with a whole capsule collection. Uh, their tagline is the sport of fashion. So we dubbed our collection the sport of self-care and talked about, you know, mental health within sports and the idea of mental fitness, um, not just physical fitness, because, you know, to be a good player, you also have to work on your mental game. Uh, so, yeah, and I have something coming out in May, which I'm really excited to share, but I will, everyone will see it when it's time. So <laughs> that's what I'll say. That's awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. I mean, that's so cool to, to, you know, add so much purpose to what you're doing too. And, and, you know, I can totally relate to the kind of connecting of the worlds that you're interested in, you know, and, and I think, I think that's also something that I hope people take away from these conversations that I have on outside the box where, you know, it, it like sneakers is, is like, you know, massively normal at this point, right? Like we all look at it the same way you said you were looking at it initially with Instagram, because we see the way, you know, whether it's the algorithm or the cool, you know, like def defining cool people in the, in the space are like, this is what's cool. Right. And we all kind of look at it as like, well, let's try to do something like that or do our own version of that. But really like, you know, to, to kind of have your own passion and, you know, connect with that in a way that just like, almost redefines cool because you're so into both of these worlds. Um, I want to ask you something about, uh, about like you've mentioned going back to therapy a couple of times. And I, I literally just had a conversation with one of my friends yesterday about, you know, he, he, him going back to therapy and, um, uh, you know, just like the political climate and all this stuff. Like a lot of us have, mm -hmm. uh, families that we don't necessarily get to talk to, in a real way. And I have always kind of believed that like therapy is, it, it has this, the stigma around it. Right. But really yeah. it's one of the most beautiful things ever. And I think that my belief is that we actually, we go to therapy without going to therapy, whether we realize it or not. Right. Like mm -hmm. our conversations with our, our close friends and family and whoever that is for you, you know, those are, just drastically important in dealing with, especially times like this, but are there ways that you think that people could, you know, I guess benefit or, or, you know, maybe become better allies for, for others to deal with those mental health challenges in a way that like, doesn't, I don't know, doesn't come across as like demeaning or, or, challenging because a lot of times when you start to talk about therapy or to talk about mental health people get defensive as if you're attacking them saying that they have a problem right and that's mm -hmm. not you know like 99 percent of the time that's not the case right like if you are around bad people like that you already know they're bad people right deep yeah. down or right out front but is there any are there any tips that you could share that might help people just kind of be more open to these conversations or or even just be more open to, you know, thinking about having these conversations with their friends and family and coworkers and stuff. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, one of the biggest messages that I would say is to just really work on the way you think about mental health in general. Um, Because part of the stigma that prevents people from going to therapy is thinking that if you go to therapy, there's something wrong with you or that, you know, you're not mentally okay. And, you know, that's the one thing I want to debunk right now is that therapy is just a form of self-care. Like if you were trying to get into shape and you had to go to the gym, like you don't just go to the gym when you feel like you want to have muscles or when you want to lose weight. Like you have to go consistently because it's what helps your body transform. So therapy is exactly the same idea where it helps your mind transform. It helps you grow as a person and helps change the way you see the world around you to, you know, ease any of those stressors that you experience in life. Um, So really therapy is a practice um, and that's the biggest thing. But what I would say too is like when talking to a friend about therapy is, you know, really meeting them where they're at, whether that be feeling like you want to open up and share some of your own personal struggles, you know, normalizing that we all go through this weird, those weird stressors and we all have those emotions and we feel all those feelings that we don't like to feel. That's 100% normal and it's part of being a human being. Um, So, you know, it's really just normalizing the idea that therapy doesn't mean or taking care of your mental health doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. It just means that you should really prioritize it and, and, you know, it's, it's okay to prioritize. Um, and that's the thing I, I think too, is within sometimes sneakers and streetwear, there's still a lot of stigma. I go on Twitter often and, you know, I think we have to be more mindful about how we talk about things because, you know, even with the political climate and, you know, everything going on, it's, you know, a lot of people are quick to call out mental illness and other people and as if it's a derogatory thing, you know, and that adds to the stigma, unfortunately. Um, So I think we just need to be mindful, like, yeah, those people are shitheads and they suck, but maybe let's not throw the mental health piece into it because there are people who are amazing people who struggle. And, you know, the more we continue to have that kind of dialogue, the less those people are going to feel comfortable to come forward and talk about it and share it. And that's really the end goal is to be able to have those open conversations with other people. Yeah, that's that's so true. I I mean, it's, it's something that, you know, if, I don't, I don't know, like, like I told you before we started recording, my goal with this podcast is to, is to use sneakers to connect with people, but like to talk about the things that are much more important that we're all dealing with. And, you know, like I, I'm guilty of it just like everybody else. Like I obviously always put, you know, my best foot forward and my best face on to be on camera and to do what I do. And, you know, whether that's Instagram or Twitter or whatever, but like, you know, I go through it you know, like I, I, I can't stop my mind. Like my mind is, is like, well, even if I wasn't working 20 hours in a day, I would, I still struggle to even go to sleep sometimes because I just can't stop the, the, the conversations, the anxiety that comes from that and all the things. And, you know, like, I think, you know, the older I get and the more I understand and, you know, spending 20 years of trying to understand why I am who I am, well, even more than that, because, you know, like I, I just have a, a, my childhood was very short. Like the responsibilities came very early and, you know, I've, I've always kind of like, it, there's a lot of stigma around that for people that like probably a lot of the kids that you deal with, like if they have younger siblings, you know, it's, it's a challenging thing, but I also look at it and think like, you know, you know, my experience and my, my values are shaped by that too. And being able to get to a point where I understand that is completely different than being mad about it, you know, in my teenage years. Right. So, um, one of the things that you said, you know, a little bit before was about the stress that comes from, you know, being a part of the basketball kind of system and and having to travel and, and, you know, having to be a part of all those summer leagues in order to play. And I never really thought about it until you said that, but like when I was, uh, you know, in high school, I played basketball, you know, like mostly in rec leagues and, you know, 
um, I, I, I almost never did anything for the school because I was always kind of anti the school. Um, but I also had an experience my freshman year of high school that made me even more anti the, you know, the, the corporate world and the school and all that, like stick it to the man attitude because the end of my freshman year basketball tryouts, one of the assistant coaches pulled me to the side and basically said, you know, you're, you're not going to make the team because you didn't come to summer camp and you didn't come play with everybody during the summer time. But for me, my parents are divorced, split, you know, one at that time I was living in Colorado with my mom and stepdad and, and siblings. My dad has been in Sacramento, California. And every summer I would go spend that time with my dad because I never got to have a real relationship with him. So I always wanted to, to, to be with him for the summer when I could. And it was really poignant at the time because it really made me think like, well, you know, sorry for cussing, but it's like, well, fuck you guys for, mm -hmm. for telling me that I have to choose you guys over having a relationship with my dad. Yeah. Um, but that was really interesting to hear you say that. And I didn't, I didn't really think about it until then, but like how, how much does that type of thing, you know, affect in your work experience? How much, how much does that type of thing where, um, I guess the best way to put it is we have these kind of like unnecessary, you know, structures, you know, whether that's a structure of knowing or, or an actual like thing or, you know, the, you know, a requirement that's in place for people to be a part of this. How much do you think that affects kids? And then what could we do as adults as we're kind of shaping this next generation to, to be better about that? Yeah, absolutely. I, it definitely affects kids. You know, like we grew up in a world where there's no social media and now these kids are growing up with phones like at two, three, four, like they know how to use an iPhone. It's wild. So, you know, these these structures and, and these these firm like boundaries that are set in place for them, kids don't often do too well, especially now because they have access to everything else. They can see and learn about things so much easier than we ever could. So now to try and keep kids inside these firm boundaries is a lot harder. And rightfully so, they shouldn't want to have to stay inside some of these boundaries. And it's not fair, especially for kids that I work with in foster care, you know, who might be jumping around moving from home to home. You know, like how do they stay on a, a sports team in school if they might be transferred from one school to another school, you know, every other year? Who takes them to practices and games when they have four other foster children in the home and the foster parents also working a full-time job. Like it's really hard and it, it's not fair. It's a definitely a very privileged system. Um, when you look at it from a broader scope, because the only people that can really make this work are the people that have the time, the money and the, just the capacity to be able to keep their kids in these, these, these reins, you know, like it just, it's sad. And I don't know, you know, what the solution or the answer is for it. But it, it's part of why, you know, a lot of my clients struggle, they don't have outlets. Um, a lot of kids with ADHD, sports are amazing for them, because it helps them learn grounding skills, it helps them, you know, get all that extra energy out when they need it in a healthy way. What you know, but if you don't have that, or you don't have the, the privilege to be able to take part in some of this stuff, then you're looked at as a bad kid in school because you have all this energy and you can't sit still and you're struggling to pay attention. So your grades go down. So it's tough because, you know, from teachers to coaches, we all need to be mindful of this kind of stuff and, and have knowledge in this area, but they don't, they don't train teachers on mental health. They don't train coaches on mental health. Um, and you know, you look at these MBA guys, a lot of these guys had, had adverse childhood experiences, you know, and when you go through any sort for, sort of form of trauma, like your fight or flight system is always like ready to be on. So it's really hard for people to balance that ability where, you know, that fight or flight might be really helpful when you're out on the court and you're playing, but then when you're living your life and you're in front of cameras and you have to be a certain way for press, you're 
it's really hard to not let a little trigger put you over the edge into that fight or flight response. So, you know, it's, I wish I had an answer for it, but I also really wish that our society as a whole could be a little bit more aware of it. So, yeah. I guess in, in that kind of lane of thought, you know, did you run into any, you know, challenges yourself with kind of opportunities that came for you in the sneaker world? Cause you know, I think my experience is there's, there's a lot of things that I think people want to do and, and get excited about. Um, but also there's a lot of intimidation and anxiety that comes with like, you know, the opportunity to do your own shoe, the opportunity to work with the hundreds, like, you know, unknown, like these are, these are brands that most, most people, most, especially kids look at and are like, I want to do this. I, I mean, I, I probably have cousins that look, have looked at the hundreds for the past 10 plus years of like, these guys do exactly what I want to do. This is the, the whole world of culture and skate and, you know, everything, right? Like, um, did you run into any kind of challenges in, in working on those projects? And like, what do you do in those situations where things come up to kind of push through or, you know, maybe for yourself? And then if you have anything that, you know, maybe that is just kind of like your general, like rule of thumb towards facing those kind of challenges. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, it's just dealing with a lot of imposter syndrome. Um, Cause by nature, I'm a social worker. I'm not a designer by any means. I, know a little bit about Illustrator and I know, you know, Lightroom Photoshop, but like, I don't know enough to design a collection. Um, But I am very, very lucky. I have an amazing team. Alisa uh, Navita is my manager. And then we have a creative director that we bring on whenever we do collabs because he's, his name's Christian Gonzalez. He's based in LA. Um, He's, phenomenal both of them because they they understand mental health so they first and foremost know like my vision and like what I want to evoke when it comes and when any of these collabs come up come about um and they understand the importance that I place on making sure that it's not just a mental health collab it's a collab that actually does something for people's mental health there's a distinct difference and you know, given this last year, 2020, mental health has definitely been a buzzword. And it's been super, super triggering for me to go online and see, you know, all these people talking about mental health. Um, And at times concerning, because people that are talking about clinical mental health topics that should not be talking about clinical mental health topics, because they don't have a license. And then it becomes, you know, the idea of well who's responsible if something happens you know if something comes up and because this person or this brand gave an gave advice to someone who was you know in crisis mode and they didn't know because they don't know how to assess for that or because they don't know you know how to provide resources or direct them to a actual licensed person and that person hurts themselves who's who's liable and that's the thing, a licensed professional has a license because you're protected legally then by your state. So it's definitely a trigger, but also for me, it's just really the, the imposter syndrome. Um, and feeling like I shouldn't be there at times, you know, like just feeling like, I don't, it's, it's hard to explain. Like I don't work in the industry by any means. So when I do get these opportunities, it's kind of like my peek in the door and it's really cool. Um, and I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunities, but at the same time, after having some of this experience, I don't know that I could mentally, it's just not, I'm not mentally built for that kind of environment. Um, it's, it's cutthroat. Yeah, Yeah, most definitely. So I want to kind of make sure to like, I'm going to, get this stuff from you offline and I'll put links to to in the description of wherever you are consuming this to kind of learn more about this stuff. And I'm going to get that from Liz. So like if anybody is listening and wants to, to know more or, you know, get in touch with Liz, that will all be in the description. But, um, you know, so I, I think too, like, you know, the other 
topic that I wanted to kind of jump into. And, you know, you, you mentioned like growing up, um, you know, kind of being, you know, hanging out with the guys and doing all the things with the guys. It's, it's interesting too, because the sneaker world, the streetwear world is, I don't know how, but somehow, you know, 30 years later in my life, it's still the same, right? Like I, I I'm generalizing, but like it's, we've made very little improvement in diversifying the people that get opportunities in the sneaker world. And part of what I wanted to do with this podcast is like bring a, a, a you know, my friends look and experience things completely different. Like I cannot be more thankful for my group of friends within this community and, and outside of the sneaker community as well. But like, how, how did, you know, being a woman going into those conversations or even like, you know, just kind of getting to that point, what were some of the challenges that you faced and how do you, you know, deal with those types of conversations? Because, you know, I think this is something that we, to, to your point about mental health in 2020 being a buzzword, this is always a buzzword in the sneaker world, right? We're going to do more for women. We're going to do more to elevate, you know, people of color in the, in, in the corporate world. We talk about all these things, but then in the reality is it's, you know, it's one in 50 that we actually take an action on it. I think it's just mm -hmm. talking points. And I, I don't want to get like ranty about it, but I get so frustrated by it because oh. I feed off of, off of learning from people that are different than me. Right. Like I have a similar experience to a lot of people that I, you know, we grew up in, you know, similar neighborhoods and, and that kind of thing. And we can relate, but like, we also have completely different experiences. So maybe you could talk to talk about that a little bit and like your experience. And, um, I guess like if, if you found challenges in that and it, in, you know, also, I guess if it, if it applies to your work in this, in, you know, your social work world too, as well. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, with social work, it's predominantly, a, uh, women um a female oriented field um there's very few males that work in social work um so it's you know it's a lot about this idea of code switching for me of like when i'm at work doing social work you know i'm around a lot of women i'm around a lot of people who for the most part get it um you know they're very supportive of mental health and then when I do the other work within sneakers, uh, streetwear, it's, it's, I have to switch a code. Like my whole mentality has to shift. I have to be a little bit more assertive. I have to be a little bit more, you know, my, like aware of who's coming into my life and who I can trust and who's, what reasons are coming into my life for. Um, and that gets exhausting. Like, almost having two different personalities <clears throat> because, you know, within sneakers, I fear often that like I'm not being taken seriously or that people just automatically assume I don't know what I'm talking about because I'm a female or, you know, just the stupid little things of like going into a, a store and, and picking up a men's shoe and saying like, I want a size seven. They're like, oh, so then you'd be a five and a half. And I'm like, no, I want a men's seven. Like I know what I'm, doing so like just like little nuances like that where it just gets exhausting and you know I'm grateful that I do have the ability to kind of go back into this other realm or other world of social work at times because you know it's it's very different communities where like a lot of the people I work with like you could put a sh uh, any shoe in front of them they'd have no clue what this the significance of that shoe is um and it's kind of refreshing, to be honest. Like, it's very refreshing to be around that sometimes. Um, and then, you know, it's like the idea of, like, hype culture within sneakers. Like, that was something that's part of why, you know, I had to go back to therapy at the beginning because of, like, it dictated who I was trying to be on social media. Feeling like I have to look a certain way, dress a certain way, um... I got really good at ignoring trolls and I don't read any hype beast comments ever if I'm in an article because I already know how toxic and negative that's going to be before I even go there. So I've gotten good at just training myself, you know, to protect my peace and um, 
but yeah, it's, it sucks. Like there's so many women like that I know personally who are doing, who are crushing it, who know so much and yet like they're just getting overlooked and it's not, it's not fair. It's just like, it's infuriating at times um, to see, you know, just people with like original amazing ideas, but because of what they look like or what gender they are not being taken seriously and seeing opportunities maybe go to other people who are just recycling the same idea over and over again. Um, but because it's hype and people love it and it's getting all these likes, they're getting an opportunity. So it's like hard to say, like, how do we change the narrative when we're not giving the people who can change the narrative those chances to do it? Um, yeah. So, well, so you've already mentioned a couple of people who I'm going to have on the podcast at some point, Megan, Lisa, I'm specifically looking at you right now. Um, but <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to lean on you for that too, if you don't mind to like help me connect with other Absolutely. people that I think, you know, because one thing that I, I think, um, we, we've talked about in a roundabout way, but we don't always bring to the surface in a lot of these conversations within the sneaker world and streetwear world the you know this comes from a, a conversation i actually had yesterday and um with with some of the folks at ces and the panels that i was on but hype the hype culture and the hype cycle don't have to be owned by the people that seem to own it right now and i that's not like a shot at anyone it's just that we can we can define what cool is in a different way, in my opinion, right? Like, you know, there's just so much opportunity to, you know, like for me, it's like, how do we make not the buzzword of sustainability cool, but actually thinking about doing things more sustainably in our lives, cool, right? And those yeah. actions. So I, I, I also think that like, you know, if you're listening to this, you probably understand where I come from on this. And I really hope that we can all kind of collectively look at other people, not as like, not as, um, you know, not just through the Instagram lens, right? Like, I think we, we run into that problem a lot, but like, we all know cool people that, you know, some people, some people don't necessarily want to be on camera and do these things and be out there with all of their stuff. But we all know people that do things that we genuinely think are cool and that we genuinely support, but we don't put enough into supporting them. So I'm hoping to kind of challenge the people that are listening and watching right now to, to say like, hey, like, who are those people that, that deserve more of our attention? Because there are plenty of people out there that exactly as you said, right, like they get overlooked because of their gender or, you know, there's a list of things. But um, I think like what are you know, obviously like with hype and I mean, basketball and sneakers, like these are all kind of common. I don't know what you would, you know, culture is the buzzword, but like all these things kind of have a very similar vibe to them in terms of like, you know, dealing with the lack of diversity, the lack of just openness to, like you said, outside of the people that are just recycling the same things. Um, I guess, are there any, maybe like from your experience, are there any lessons that like are very poignant to you that you like think back to and are like, you know, damn, I'm, I'm never going to forget that. Or I'm always going to think of that moving forward along the way. I think for me, <clears throat> and it ties in with the whole idea of code switching <clears throat> is, you know, along with showing support to those people, also just being able to, read people um and not be so giving with my time or my um ideas uh you know because there's people who sometimes just want to use you as a stepping stone and that hurts you know that that's something that i sh really struggle with um you know being a social worker i my i want to help people so if someone comes and asks me i'm very forthcoming with information or connecting people, you know, I'll, I would do whatever I can to help someone. But then, you know, later down the, the line, I often get hurt from that stuff. So I think for me, my biggest lesson has been 
um, being less forthcoming and just trying to see like what someone's real intention is um, just to protect myself and my my heart because I take things personally and it, I don't like it. Yeah, I, I totally relate to that. You know, my, I think for me, like working kind of on the, on the more of a behind the scenes, you know, situation in this business for the last few years and really for a long time, but like weaved in and out of like regular, I'm an employee type jobs. Um, I often see like ideas that were, pre that I presented to people you know, two years later being acted on. And, and I also, I also understand that like, you know, we all have a lot of the same ideas, you know, we all are kind of groomed to have the same ideas. That's a part of like being a society where we all look at each other on social media and think, you know, yeah. like it doesn't take much to plant those seeds, um, for, for most of us. So, um, but I do think that that's something that is, is, uh, you know, I guess to like, um, I, I think cautious, you know, like I like to think of being cautious with that, but I also like to, you know, kind of understand, like you said, how, how to navigate that, right? Like that's a, that in itself is like a very challenging thing. And, and, you know, if you've been in a situation where you've seen something that you suggested or, or brought up or presented happen without you, it is truly like, you know, one of the worst feelings that I can, that I can imagine, you know, in, in, in a business sense. But, um, so I guess with that said, like on a more positive note, the three, you know, three kind of major collabs that you've done, obviously another one in the works, what would be the dream opportunity for you to kind of cross over your two worlds of, of, you know, the sneaker streetwear and, and your mental health work that you do? Yeah, um, I don't know that it's necessarily a collaboration, but what I really want to do, what my dream job is, I want to be a therapist for the NBA. I want to, I want to work within the NBA and help build their mental health initiatives out because I know they just recently launched that with the MBPA. And um, yeah, I've been, you know, I've talked to some people that work there and, you know, about some of the obstacles and, and whatnot that's been happening. And I think I could bring a lot to the table. So I just am putting that out there because that's really what I want to do. I want to help those guys or even the WNBA players, you know, and um, yeah, that'd be the dream. So that's what I want to do. Well, we'll just, I'll just put the energy out there into the universe too. Hopefully the next time I get to talk to you on this, on this podcast, you know, we'll be talking about that work that you've been doing. So um, I guess the last question that I have is, any, any tips that, you know, people can be supportive of, of, you know, you, the mental health world, the females that are tr looking at you and inspired to get involved in the streetwear and sneakers. Um, just how do we, how do we, you know, speaking as a guy, how do we become better allies and, and more supportive of these kind of initiatives that you're pushing through? I think leading by example. Um, so like what you're doing, having women come on this podcast is amazing. Um, hopefully other male led podcasts or shows, uh, complex looking at you will, um, have some women join them to talk. That'd be lovely. Um, and I think just like uplifting women, you know, like supporting them, it's, you know, sharing those, they're cool. Like if they make really dope content or if they're doing a cool project, sharing that, you know, highlighting the work that they're doing um, and really giving them a voice, using your voice to help give them a voice, I think is really the best way. Um, so, yeah. Cool. Um, and I guess the last thing is how can people find you on wherever you want them to find you? Um, I guess Instagram for now, Liz, the letter B and then C R O F T. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much my website is in progress, but uh, I have my email and everything right now on my Instagram. So if you want to ask a question or something, please send me an email. I don't really check DMs. I intentionally try to stay off of social as much as I can. 
yeah, that's that's great parting advice, actually. <laughs> so, well, thank you for spending the time with me, Liz. It's been awesome to talk to you. You know, I, I know I'm going to walk away with a lot of, you know, more focus on my thoughts around this because the stuff that we talked about was kind of, it, it did feel like kind of a therapy session for me because I did get to ask about things that I didn't really think about in the past. But, um, you know, I'm just really appreciative of what you do and, you know, spending the time with me. It's, it's been awesome. So thank you for having me and for letting me ramble about my love of Allen Iverson for a couple minutes. <laughs> that's, that's always welcome. I, I appreciate that probably more than most people on the planet. So, <laughs> uh, but all right, well, make sure you give Liz a follow and, you know, like favorite comment, subscribe, all those things that I'm programmed to say, because I create content on the internet, but really it doesn't matter. Just hope that you enjoy this conversation and I hope that you take away something. And as I said before, I'm going to put links in the description, wherever you're listening or watching to places that you can talk to people, find help, you know, kind of erase the stigma of, of this weird place we're in where mental health is just a, another sustainability buzzword. So thank you all for listening and we'll catch you on the next one. Peace.